0: Have you ever seen an episode of a TV programme that ends with seeming disaster? It looks like the main characters are trapped somewhere or they're facing certain death and you have to wait until the next episode to see what happens. Well that's a bit like where we left things two weeks ago with God's great plan for humanity because it looked like everything was spinning out of control The one uh, nation of Israel had split into two, Israel and Judah, uh, and both of them had been carried off into exile, uh, Israel permanently. So uh, the temple in Jerusalem had been burnt to the ground. Uh, There was no king descended from David on the throne. Things looked bleak. Uh, And unlike watching a TV program and knowing that that there's going to be another episode, uh, in the series, uh, and so knowing that, that even though it looks like they're doomed, they're not really going to be doomed, God's people weren't always convinced that there was more to come. Yes, they had God's promises that there was more to come, but, but humanly speaking, things looked bleak. Remember how things had started off in the beginning. God's people were in God's place, under God's rule, and enjoying his blessing and presence. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They obeyed God's rules. They enjoyed unspoilt relationships with him and with each other. But they soon disobeyed. Mankind was banished with the Garden and no longer God's people by nature. Men and women hadn't obeyed God's rules and every part of their lives was affected by curse rather than by blessing. Yet as soon as Adam and Eve fell, God promised that he would send someone to break the enemy's hold over them. Then at the time of Abraham, God spelt out in detail what this would look like. God promised Abraham a land, a people and his presence. And this was partially fulfilled when Moses led the people out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where they received the Ten Commandments uh, uh, where God uh, dwelt with them in the the tabernacle during their time in the wilderness uh, uh, and particularly under Joshua when they finally entered the Promised Land. Uh, Things got even better under King David and his son Solomon but it didn't last. Solomon disobeyed God. He did exactly the sort of thing that God had said kings shouldn't do. Uh, What was that? Well, he he married pagan wives who turned his heart away from God. And the nation split in two. 700 years before Jesus was born, the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. A 100 years or so later, many in Judah were carried off into exile in Babylon. And that is the bleak situation where we left things last time. And it brings us to the ministry of the prophets. Uh, So that's our our first heading today, the ministry of the the prophets. You might have noticed that the second half of the Old Testament contains lots and lots and lots and lots of, of books by prophets if you were to turn to the contents page of your bible you'd see that the last 17 old testament books are all named after prophets of course there are books right throughout the bible moses is a great prophet he's born right at the start of exodus that's that's book two of the bible but in the first half of the bible uh, the message that the prophets bring Are contained within other books. In other words, we don't have have a a book specifically devoted to the sayings of Moses, but if you turn to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll find a record of some of the things that Moses said. Or or take Elijah, one of the most famous Old Testament prophets who we're looking at in our evening services, Uh, but we, we don't have a book that we can turn to called The Prophecy of Elijah. We don't have Elijah chapter 1, Elijah chapter 2. Instead, if you want to read about Elijah, you need to turn to 1 Kings and 2 Kings. But then there's a second group of prophets in the Old Testament who are known as the writing prophets. Uh, That means that they've left behind books named after them which contain their prophecies. So if you want to know what Isaiah said, you can turn to the book of Isaiah. Uh, If you want to know what Jeremiah said, you can turn to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, The same for Hosea, Joel, Amos, and so on. Uh, So there's a change that takes place. And it's actually quite easy to work out when each of these two groups lived uh, because the non-writing prophets, uh, as we could call them, they lived and ministered before the nation split in two, whereas the writing prophets came after the split. And of this second group, some ministered before Israel and Judah went into exile. Some ministered while they were actually in exile and some ministered after they came home from exile in Judah uh, around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, this second group of prophets is usually divided into two categories. So, so those that wrote books, there's two categories of, of them, two categories of books, the, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Uh, maybe you've come across that phrase. Uh, the major prophets aren't any more important. They've just left us bigger books. Uh, so the major prophets are, are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Laman, Well, uh, Je- Jeremiah wrote lamentations as well. Uh, Ezekiel and Daniel, and then the last twelve books of the Old Testament are the minor prophets. None of that information is essential to remember but the information is on the handout and it might be helpful in your own reading as you try and work out how the prophets fit into the big picture of the Bible. More important than when the prophets lived however is the message that they brought. There were two main themes of the prophets' message Uh, judgment and hope so prophets brought a message of judgment and hope or judgment and salvation Uh, and by the way when you when you hear the word prophet don't just think of someone who predicts the future Um, a, a prophet was Simply someone who brought God's word. Sometimes that included prediction about what was God, God was going to do in the future, but often it didn't. Uh, so w- when we talk about prophecies, we're, we're normally talking about, about predictions of the future, but, but a prophet, uh, that was only part of their role. Uh, and strictly speaking, a prophecy it includes just bringing God's word uh, to the current situation uh, as well. And the the message of these prophets, as I've said, was two-sided, judgment and hope. Uh, And and that's significant. Uh, These writing prophets take up a a significant chunk of the Old Testament, which is a fairly significant chunk of the Bible. And surely if we want to be biblical Christians, the two great emphases of the prophets should be two of our great emphases today. If they talked a lot about judgment and hope Surely we should too Many churches simply don't talk about God's judgment But if we are to be faithful to the Bible We must uh, Because the prophets, they warned of a coming exile uh, And we warn of something even, uh, An even greater punishment that is coming For those who don't repent It wasn't that the prophets got a a kick out of talking about judgment but they had to speak the message that God gave them. They didn't have the option of tweaking it or, or changing it to make it more acceptable and neither do we. The prophets lived at a time when those who claimed to be God's people were ignoring God's law and the people needed to know that they couldn't live like that and not face the consequences But then once they had faced those consequences and been brought into exile they needed to know that they hadn't been carried off into Babylon and seen the temple destroyed because God wasn't powerful enough. Instead they needed to know that this would happen because they had sinned. And we need to know something similar in our day. We see the, the steady stream of headlines about declining church attendance in Scotland Many will, will read them and think, well, the, the Christian God must be passed to sell by date if, if churches are declining and closing. But what would the prophets say about statistics like that? Well, the prophets would point to those stats as evidence of God's judgment. Yes, the, the number of people going to churches has decreased, but but not because God isn't powerful enough, but because for, for decades... Uh, In many churches, the gospel hasn't been preached. Biblical church discipline hasn't been exercised. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel saw a vision of God's glory leaving the temple in Jerusalem. Sin had been tolerated for so long that eventually God just left. Uh, And we shouldn't be surprised to see the same thing happening in our day. Churches where God has been worshipped and his word have been preached have started teaching and doing other things and it is no surprise that God has departed and there's no reason for people to go anymore. Another thing that we learn from the prophet's message of judgment is that the standard to which God calls his people remains the Ten Commandments. This was a new era in many ways. The day of the non-writing prophets had given way to the writing prophets. Uh, the, the nation is no longer united but it's split in two. Uh, some of the, the prophets are no longer even in Israel or Judah but, but they're far from home living in the, the pagan land of Babylon. Uh, they're living, so they're living in a different place. They're living a thousand years after Moses. Surely... There, the Ten Commandments aren't relevant anymore. That was nearly a millennium ago, after all. Uh, and yet, the Ten Commandments remain God's standard for life on Earth. Uh, 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 the prophets just just quote the commandments. They they don't defend uh, how they still apply. They just take it for granted. So Amos says in chapter 8, he condemns those who say, when will the Sabbath be over that we may offer wheat for sale? Ezekiel condemns those who made idols. Jeremiah asks, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods and then come and stand before me in this house? So times have changed, the people are living in vastly different circumstances, they're living in different different cultures, some of them, it's all very different from when the Ten Commandments were given. But the prophets don't feel the need to prove that these Ten Commandments are still relevant, they simply quote them and warn the people for not doing them. And perhaps... The reason why the prophet's note of warning and judgment isn't sounded in many churches today is because they don't believe the Ten Commandments are relevant. But take away the Ten Commandments and you take away much of the prophet's message. The Ten Commandments are commands for all people, in all nations, in all ages. God doesn't change and so his standards don't change. It is significant that the prophets don't restrict their message to Israel. Large chunks of Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are directed not to God's people but the surrounding pagan nations. And that tells us that God isn't just the God of those who acknowledge him. He's the creator of everyone and so he has the right to call everyone to account. So often people say to us, well, well, what right do you have to try and impose your beliefs on others? But the law of God isn't just our beliefs. Uh, They're the universal laws of the creator of the universe. God is God, whether you acknowledge that or not. And you'll be judged by his law one day, whether you accept its authority in this life or not. And that that same law, of course, is the same law that Jesus kept, uh, which is our only hope of escaping that judgment. So the prophets, they they sounded a note of judgment and warning, and we must do the same. But they also sounded a note of hope. Uh, The Bible uses the word hope equally in the Old Testament and the New Testament, 84 times in each. Uh, The Bible is a message of hope. In fact, if there was no hope, why would would there be any more after Adam and Eve sinned? Uh, If there was no hope, why send prophets to people who were going into exile? Why send prophets to people who were in exile? The judgment and condemnation of the prophets are there so that we can realise what a serious position we're in and so we can... Realise what will happen if we reject the hope that God offers. But there is hope, uh, and there's some uh, professing Christians uh, and some churches are so unbalanced that they never talk about judgment. Others are unbalanced in that the note of hope is rarely sounded. Even when the gospel is preached, it's about escaping hell and judgment, uh, which is true, but but it's not the full picture. Uh, Many sermons and prayers and conversations are taking up lamenting the state of the world and the state of the church. Of course, as Christians, we, we can't have our heads in the sand. We must be realistic about the state of the world that we live in. But the prophets were realistic as well. In fact, some of them were the only ones being realistic about how serious the situation was. And yet this note of hope still rings out loud and clear. Because as well as being realistic about the world and human sin, the prophets were also realistic about God's power. They believed his promises. It's so easy for Christians to give in to doom and gloom. But if we do, we're not being faithful to the whole counsel of God. So how could the prophets have hope? How could they have any hope as they spoke to a people who were about to be carried off into exile because of their sin? How could they have hope as they spoke to people who were weeping beside the rivers of Babylon? Uh, There was nothing in the people's situation that gave them any reason for hope. It was bleak, bleak, bleak. Uh, and Nor was there anything in the character of the people. This was a people who had begun squabbling and complaining five minutes after God had rescued them from Egypt. It was a people who had seen God separate the Red Sea for them and then they'd walked through it. They'd taken one look at the giants in the promised land and they said, we're doomed. This was a people who God had led into the promised land and they had acted so badly that God had led them out again. Why do the prophets bother? Why do they, they have any hope that things are going to improve? Well, the answer will be a familiar one by now. They had hoped because God had made covenant promises uh, and God had made that commitment to Abraham that he would make sure the covenant was kept even if we broke it uh, as God himself walks through the, the, the divided animal pieces. So God's promises ultimately don't depend on his people's faithfulness. God's promises ultimately don't depend on his people's faithfulness. And that brings us to the message of the prophets. Uh, So the the ministry of the prophets, the message of the prophets. Throughout the the prophet Jeremiah, uh, God promises that he is going to make a new covenant. So how are we to think of this new covenant in relation, uh, for example, to the covenant that God made with Abraham? Is it going to be something completely different? Well, the word new in the Bible doesn't always mean brand new. It doesn't always mean starting uh, from scratch with a clean slate. Uh, this new covenant uh, of Jeremiah and so on taught, contains some very familiar promises. One way to think about it is to think uh, about a mobile phone. It used to be that mobile phones were fairly simple things. You you could make calls, you could send texts, you could play games. That was about it. But now they're they're basically pocket-sized computers. And one of the things that you have to do to mobile phones these days is update the software on them. If you don't do that, some, some apps will eventually stop working and you'll be more vulnerable uh, to being hacked or, or exploited. The think of someone who has just downloaded the, the, the New Year's operating system to their phone. It downloads, their phone restarts, and they're ready to go. Are they, need to, are, are they going to need to go back to the phone shop uh, to find out how to make a phone call? Are they going to be in doubt as to whether their phone will still be able to send messages? No, uh, all all the features will still be there, but there will be improvements that make them better. Yes, it's a new version of the software, but the phone makers haven't gone gone back to the drawing board. It, it's new, but it's also familiar. It's new, but it's also familiar. And it's the same with the message of the prophets about the New Covenant. God is going to do something new, but it's not going to be a change of direction. He's going to build on what's already there. To change the illustration, what what God is doing is more like renovating a, a house than building a completely new one. A house renovation can be pretty radical but you're still going to have a a kitchen at the end of the day. It it, it might be a bigger kitchen, a better kitchen, but no one's going to walk in and say, whoa, I've never seen a room like this before. What's this for? Or if a long lost relative gives you a brand new car that costs £100,000, it it might be very unlike anything you've ever driven before, but it will still have a a, a steering wheel. Uh, It'll still have... It'll still have wing mirrors, it'll still have doors, it'll still have brakes, it'll still have an accelerator. And probably the best thing to do, uh, to see what this looks like in practice, is, is to, to summarise God's promises under four familiar categories. So so under this, this second point we see four things about what the prophets were saying God would do. And the first one is about God's people. God's people are in exile, but Isaiah promises in chapter 10 that a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Yes, many would go into exile and never return, but some would. Ezekiel says, I will multiply people on you, I will multiply man and beast, and they shall be multiplied and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in former times and will do more good to you than ever before. But the prophets promised more than just that God would have a people. This would be a people who would obey him from their hearts. Ezekiel says, we read it earlier, In chapter 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The promise is for for more than a people who are outwardly obedient. It's a promise of a people who inwardly desire to do what God says. God's people will no longer be limited to one land or one nation. Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation shall reach to the ends of the earth. That had been hinted at in God's promises to Abraham. God had said, In you and your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But now this this universal aspect of the gospel is sounded out like never before. So there's God's people, then there's God's place. Have you ever been away somewhere and thought, I just want to be home? Well, in exile in Babylon, God's people were far from the promised land. But Ezekiel comes to them and gives them a message from God. My people Israel will soon come home. Jeremiah describes it as like the exodus from Egypt, but rather than coming out of Egypt, the people will come out of all the lands to where they've been scattered. God promises through Jeremiah I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. But the land will be better than before. Isaiah famously prophesies in chapter eleven: "The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. They shall not hurt or destroy." So we have God's place, then God's rule. We've already thought about the fact that God's people will have His Spirit, who will give them an inward desire to keep His rules and that's important because you know some sometimes people think well the days of the new covenant we need new laws we need new rules and uh we don't need the 10 commandments anymore uh, but but we need new laws uh for new covenant days but but what does god say through ezekiel he, he doesn't say that i will give them new laws what's the difference the difference is I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, so the laws don't change. Uh, the Ten Commandments are still the summary of God's standard. But what changes is that, that God gives more and more people his spirit within them so that they, they want to uh, and they are able to keep his rules God's rule will also be focused in one individual in New Covenant days. God had already promised that this would be a descendant of David. Uh, And now Isaiah utters the famous words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it And uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore So a king would come to rule on the throne of David This king would be a man obviously but he would also be mighty God How could that be? Well, the answer is found in the incarnation and the coming of the Lord Jesus. The fourth aspect of the promise is God's presence and blessing. God's presence had been experienced, particularly in the tabernacle and the temple, while the people were in the wilderness and then the promised land. The tabernacle and the temple had had pictured God dwelling with his people but then the Babylonians, they'd come and destroy the temple. But as Ezekiel's prophecy comes to a great climax, he spends seven chapters describing a glorious new temple that will be built. So to summarise the message of the prophets, they encourage the exiles by telling them that God's people would once again be in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing and presence. And their message starts to come true. After 70 years in exile, God puts it into the heart of a king called Cyrus to free the people. They return to the land and begin to rebuild the temple. And they think this is it. This is when all that God has promised will come true. So are God's promises through the prophets fulfilled? Yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but there's more to come. Let's, let's think about it in turn. First, there's the people promise. God had promised that the people would obey him from their hearts. And some do. But, but Nehemiah returns uh, to lead the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. He, he, he goes away for a while. He comes back. He finds the people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and trading on the Sabbath. He has to rebuke those who have intermarried with worshippers of foreign gods. It was the same sin that Solomon had committed. Uh, rather than God's salvation reaching to the, the ends of the earth, the, the nations of the earth are, are again diluting Israel's faith. Then there's a place promise. God does bring his people back home just as he promised. I, I, I'm sure it's good to be home But no one is putting wolves into the same field as the lambs just yet. The people aren't letting their kids play on top of cobra dens just yet. And soon the Romans would come and take over and God's people would no longer call the shots even in their own land. Then there's a promise about God's rule. A descendant of David called Zerubbabel does lead some of the exiles back. And helps oversee the rebuilding of the temple. But he's just a governor. The Babylonians still call the shots. The throne of David is still empty. Still waiting for the great king who God has promised. And then finally there's a promise of God's blessing. When the people return to the land a new temple is built. And the younger people shout for joy. But the older people weep. Why? Why? Because they remember the temple that Solomon had built. And this one doesn't match up to it. And interestingly God's presence which had departed from the old temple never returns and fills this one. So are God's promises fulfilled? Partly, partly. Partly. It's like the days, do you remember when you had to, uh, when you took photos you had to go and get the photos developed uh, and maybe you'd taken a photo and you thought this is going to be a great photo and you get it back from the chemist or, or wherever and and yes everything that you'd wanted to, to capture in the frame you, you've got it, your finger hasn't been in front of it or anything like that. But it's just not quite as good as you'd imagine. Everything is there, everything is in the picture, all the elements are there, but it's not what you thought it would be like. So do you see what's happening? As is often the case, God's promises are fulfilled in a couple of stages. The first stage is when the people return from exile. But there is a far greater and more glorious fulfilment ahead. And that sets us up nicely for next time in the coming of Jesus, in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. Only through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will God's promises be fully and finally fulfilled. Amen. Well, let's close by singing a psalm written in expectation of the coming King who would sit on David's throne Just as God had promised. Uh, Think of the the faith of some of these people uh, singing this song, Far from Home. All the kings descended from David are at an end, and yet they have this promise. Uh, Do you know that sometimes a child can argue a stronger case than a lawyer? Uh, When the child stands before uh, their their mum or dad and says, but you promised, but you promised. You can't get a stronger argument than that. Uh, And that's us so often in the Christian life. It's how verse 7 starts, the Lord swore to David and he won't turn from it. Things may be bleak now, but we have God's promises and they are enough. And can we not say the same? Things may seem bleak at times, but we have God's promises and they are enough. They looked forward to Jesus' first coming. We look forward to his second coming. Uh, Psalm one three two seven to the end will stand and sing praise.